With 35% of trucks on the road driving empty, 87 million metric tons of carbon emissions are produced annually. Leveraging machine learning and automation, Convoy is efficiently connecting shippers with carriers while reducing carbon emissions. Learn how Convoy's technology can help your business run efficiently and build toward a no empty miles future at convoy.com slash sustainability. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Net Zero Carbon. I'm your host, Tyler Cole, and today I'm joined by Grand Major X of Sender, coming in live from Berlin, right? Exactly, from Berlin. Best regards. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Happy to have you on. We've chatted before, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I feel like you and I could go down this rabbit hole for days, maybe. Normally, I say hours, but you and I might be able to go for days. So I look forward to sharing your expertise with the listenership here. Why don't you give us a brief overview? Let's start, you know, who are you and who is Sender? Sure, let's start with Sender. So Sender is the uh, leader in uh, digital road freight in Europe, and we are focused on the full truckload segment. So we've got a very clear focus on what we're doing. And my role there is I'm the head of green business, which means that I'm responsible for all of our low carbon uh, transports, um, as well as the carbon strategy for the company. Very, very exciting and right up my alley. How did you land here? Typically, people are either born into freight or they fall in and can't get out. What's your story? Yeah, you know, I've been in business my my whole life, and I grew up in Manhattan in New York City. And my father's also a climate scientist. So I kind of grew up uh, with business, you know, a couple miles away down on Wall Street, and then my dad at home uh, showing me the climate science. And I mean, I was working in China for six years. I worked in New York for a while, and um, I also did an MBA in renewable energy. So kind of all of those combined and um, when I started talking with uh, the founders at Sender, it really seemed like the perfect combination of bringing sort of business together as a real business offering um, in the transport segment, um, especially because Sender is, you know, growing growing so fast in the segment. It seemed like a really good way to set up a competitive advantage for the company. Absolutely. And it's so important to bring outside eyes. A lot of times we, within freight, it tends to be a very siloed um, part of the business in, in a shipping organization or even as a logistic service provider. Um, having outside eyes and ears come in and provide perspective, outside business perspective, management perspective, and in this case, especially climate perspective into this industry is so, so valuable. Are you seeing some of that same thing where you've got like traditional incumbents that are surprised by the focus? Maybe it's different in Europe, but what are you, what do you get the feel for? Well, I think, I think first of all, the industry is changing. You know, I've only been in the industry for a couple of years, but I would say even in my time in the industry, it's already changing. I think um, the way the way you set up that that sort of idea is um, when I first started, I think there was a lot of feedback that, you know, shippers actually don't care about green logistics. And I was surprised to hear that because it seemed like from the outside, you know, that is something that they really did care about. And so our hypothesis setting this up was, you know, we're going to start offering this and we're going to see if shippers really do want this. And it turns out they do want it. You know, they they are willing to prioritize um, parts of their uh, network to make it happen green, um, to have different contractual terms and really commit to green logistics as a way to decarbonize their entire business. And so I think um, I think that's the main thing that we've been able to prove so far is that it is important for shippers. It is part of their strategic um, uh, road, you know, pathway forward. 
And all you have to do is go look at uh, science-based target initiatives. And you see that there's 2,600 companies, I think, uh, when we talked about it last, um, that have already stated their uh, their carbon targets. And about 1,300 of those or so are already approved by SBTI. So we see that you know that is a real business priority for a lot of these companies and it impacts road freight. And that's, you know, that's the niche we're trying to fill. And it seems like you guys are getting a lot of traction. It's encouraging to hear. And I look forward to more growth stories out of your piece of the industry in general. Where do you see the rubber hitting the road, so to speak? So if we think about how we're going to decarbonize freight, everyone's pretty aware, I hope, that we've got low hanging fruit, that we've got, you know, empty miles and efficiencies to, to ring out. We've got modal switch, which is a great opportunity. And I don't know if that's within y'all's scope as just a road freight provider, but talk us through a little bit of those maybe more historically um, relevant initiatives to really maximize efficiency and lower cost. Where's the overlap with those solutions and greening the freight system? Yeah, definitely. So I think we have to look at the overall size of the pie and we also have to look at where we're going in the future. So first thing is when we talk about... um, Let's just compare empty miles to advanced fuels, for example. You know, if you were to reduce all the empty miles in Europe to zero, let's say it's it's either 13% or 17% empty miles on average in Europe, depending on which data source you're using, but it's somewhere in there. If you reduce that to zero, you would reduce the overall carbon emissions of road freight by 13 to 17%, which is definitely worth doing. But if you were to switch all of the diesel transports to renewable diesel, you would reduce emissions by 90%. And so I think we have to look at, you know, how big are the levers that we're actually talking about? Modal shift for me is much more aligned with the uh, advanced fuel strategy because, you know, you're really able to accomplish the goal of getting the thing you want where you want it, when you want it, when you're putting it on rail, uh, intermodal or you're putting advanced fuels in there, like renewable diesel, like biodiesel, or also the switch to uh, electric trucks. So I think for me, the biggest levers are really getting to those final uh, solutions, which are advanced fuels and eventually, um, and I think basically beginning this year, uh, electric trucks, which is certainly, you know, battery electric vehicles, um, which is certainly for me where the future of the industry is going. Very exciting and completely spot on, in my opinion. I totally agree. So how does Cinder approach that as an offering to its customers? Can you break down a little bit of the business strategy and what sort of, if it's a green tier or different services that you guys can provide under that umbrella? How does that look? Yeah. So what we do is we offer essentially a variety of advanced fuels. We offer, let's call it fuel as a service, um, if you will. And so what we do is we allow our customers to choose the fuel that goes in their truck. And um, I think that's a unique offering, uh, perhaps globally, that we do that as a freight forwarder because we've built up the infrastructure that underlies that to uh, calculate the number of liters of fuel that will happen in any given transport. And then we ensure that that actually does by getting uh, fuel proof, fueling proof from our carriers um, that are doing those transports. So the fuels that we offer include HVO, which gets up to a 90% uh, reduction in carbon emissions. That's also known as renewable diesel. Great option, also available in the States. I believe it's available in California, perhaps also in Washington. I would love to see that grow. You know, we have it here in Europe, um, really good coverage in the Netherlands, decent coverage in Belgium, minimal coverage in Germany, and great coverage sort of up in the Nordics, uh, Sweden, Norway, Finland. Um, And we've also got it in the Baltics a bit. So, you know, we have pretty good coverage with the renewable diesel HVO. And then in addition to that, we also offer 
biodiesel. So B100, that's the first generation of biodiesel that usually reduces emissions by about 60%. And that we're primarily offering in France um, because that's a better fit for that particular market. You know, in Europe, we're dealing with a lot of different countries, uh, which makes uh, things a little more interesting, a little more complex. Um, in addition, we have done our first electric transports with a 40-ton vehicle. Uh, so really excited about that. That um, that lane is from uh, Rotterdam to Antwerp, and that's for our customer Cabot. And I think that that's also quite a cool story because Cabot produces carbon black, which is the substance that goes into tires to give them their structure. And so I wouldn't call it exactly circular economy, but it starts. You start to see how it goes in that direction, where you get you know electric trucks moving the stuff that then gets created to then create the trucks again. And it's those starts, those sort of flywheel things when we get to the green business side of things that start to decarbonize the whole economy. So uh, really happy to see that also hitting the road um, in November last year. That was the first time we did that. Excellent. I love that it's not limited to one geography or one solution too, that there is choice for the customers as they want to try to pursue which which opportunity best fits their, their emissions reduction targets and their network today. I think too often we try to, imagine that there's a silver bullet that we're going to cram all of this emissions reduction potential into one solution like you know passenger evs like that's great we need it we got to have it but it's a yes and not a you know bet your whole wallet on one solution right so i love that you provide that choice for customers give us some feedback from customers what are you seeing on um uptake of these solutions are you seeing more and more customers want to potentially pay for different solutions like this? What's the what's the sentiment among your customers? Definitely. You know, we're, we're seeing a really strong uptake and we do see that there is a premium for this among our customers. The reason being that, you know, uh, advanced fuels do cost more, um, for example, than our um, traditional fossil diesel. Um, but the, the main thing is that when I talk to our customers, you know, they've been asking for low carbon solutions for like five or 10 years, some of them. And they've been asking for it for the market. And then, you know, we showed up and knocked on their door and said, um, hey, we have this idea. Would you like to run this with renewable diesel instead? And they say, yeah, you know, we've been waiting for that. So um, I think the uptake has been very, very strong. I think a lot of shippers are surprised um, because they're not used to being approached by digital freight forwarders or any freight forwarders, anybody in the industry proactively offering uh, that solution. So I think that's been really cool. And one other thing, um, you know, last time we chatted, we talked a little bit about um, the uh, HVO Flex solution that we just launched recently. And exactly, you and I are both on the same page for that. And I think the really cool thing about that, you know, what we call HVO Flex is essentially HVO insetting, where we're using the sender network and we decide which trucks are fueling that HVO instead of necessarily fueling it in the truck that's running that transport. Um, but we make sure that the number of leaders is the same. And what that does is it gives us the ability to run HVO equivalents in countries like Italy, where there is no HVO. We can run a different truck for the same amount of leaders up in the Netherlands and basically do the compensation internally within the sender network. So that's also another solution that we're seeing really strong uptake on. Um, and I'm really happy about that because I also think that that's a very scalable solution when we look at, you know, how can a digital freight forwarder add a lot of value well, digitizing, you know, fuel management, uh, especially when it comes to advanced fuels, that's really something where we can add a lot of value. Completely agree. It's a huge opportunity that's virtually untapped so far in the industry. And I think some of that is because people are confused of the mechanics of how it works. And there's still some, even 
even when you're fueling your own trucks with renewable diesel, I think there's probably some confusion around how shippers can claim those environmental attributes and, and work with their marketing team and their sustainability organization to properly you know, account for that within their frameworks. And I, I'm of the opinion, look, that's going to come. You're going to have standards. You're going to be able to point to somebody and say, look, they told me I could do it this way. So that's what I'm doing. What's more important right now with the urgency of the situation is how do we scale the fuel in those assets today? And that's a perfect opportunity. And just to be very clear for listeners who, who maybe didn't catch that, Cinder is going to get every truck they can fueling with renewable diesel. And if customers in that market where that truck is running, if they don't have enough customers, they can then offer those environmental attributes to whatever customer wants them in whatever geography, regardless of whether the truck runs those, because they have proof that renewable diesel went into the supply mix and was moving trucks. And so now it's just about who wants it. Come and get it, guys. We've got this solution available for you. So uh, sorry to continue to toot that horn, but man, it needs to be louder from all the rooftops. People need to know about that solution. <laughs> I don't know the last time I said toot that horn. It just kind of came. It felt, it felt okay. <laughs> it felt all right. Let's go with it. <laughs> oh, great, great solutions. What's the what's the growth trajectory for this? Do you have your eyes on you know near-term, medium-term, long-term opportunities to expand those sort of green solution sets? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're we're really looking we're looking at very strong growth. Let me put it that way. I think we're seeing stronger and stronger uptake and I think we're starting to see a lot of the factors come together which make it all work um let's say more uh, exponentially than it has been in the past. So I think we're seeing a lot of factors come together. You know, right now of course there's the well-known driver shortage um that's not only uh, in Europe but I think also in the US that's the case. Um, we have super high diesel prices at the moment. You know, we're over two euros, um, at least in Germany, we're over two euros per liter. So that's like nine dollars a gallon, something like that, um, which is, you know, pretty expensive. And but then if you look at the fuel price difference percentage wise compared to renewable diesel, the percentage difference has actually gone down um, because it's it's a pretty stable difference between the renewable diesel and that and the fossil diesel. I think also, you know, when I look at the future, Tyler, I think the I think we're going to see an extremely quick uptake of uh, battery electric trucks. And that's something where there's kind of a, it's almost like a static TCO analysis, what I see happening, but um, sort of, you know, this is the cost of the truck uh, and this is the cost of the electricity and the operating costs in there versus right now diesel looks like this down here. But I think what what's often being forgotten is that that's also going to be an exponential uptake. We see exponential decreasing uh, battery costs. We see exponential increasing battery density. We see exponential increasing number of charging stations, both uh, slow and fast charging. And so I think that plus you start to see the OEM targets, you know, the OEMs are looking at 10% or so uh, battery electric vehicle sales in 2025. That's like two and a half years from now, you know, or three years from now, that's right around the corner. And 10% of 100,000 vehicles, well, then you get a lot of BEVs uh, on the road pretty quickly. And so I think we're going to start to see also exponential changes happening there. Um, and at first, you know, the way exponential works is you start very little and then you get to 1% and then you surprisingly get to 10% all of a sudden. And so I think we're going to see a lot of those things happening in green that you and I are talking about today, all hitting exponential curves. Um, at a simultaneous fashion. So I think over the next two, three years, we're really going to see a really big uptake for a lot of these, uh, a lot of these green solutions. With 35% of trucks on the road driving empty, 87 million metric tons of carbon emissions are produced annually. Leveraging machine learning and automation, 
Convoy is efficiently connecting shippers with carriers while reducing carbon emissions. Learn how Convoy's technology can help your business run efficiently and build toward a no empty miles future at convoy.com slash sustainability. I'm hopeful in two and a half years, we look back and you're exactly right. Um, I think there's probably a little more headwinds on just exiting the current disruption and scaling up supply chains that don't exist at scale today. But you're right, it happens slow and then fast. And people will look back and be like, dang, how did I miss that? Why didn't I invest in this <laughs> 10 years ago? How did, I, how did I read the cards right? Um, so I'm, I'm very much aligned with yours. I think we will see more of a polyfuel opportunity, whether that's HVO or battery electric, modal shift, um, bio fuels continuing to pick up. I think electrofuels play a big role. That's probably more medium term, you know, post 2025. But I think that's a, a great opportunity. And then we could get outside of road freight and, and start going down rabbit holes. So let's not do that. But tell me a little bit about um, about your your role personally. Is this team growing? Like how is the, the organization structured within Cinder to try and um, get this message out to your stakeholders? Yeah. So I've got a team of seven and uh, started with just me two years ago. So this team is definitely growing and I think we're going to continue on that trajectory. Um, I think the the main thing that we've really been focused on this year is how to get it embedded within the digital infrastructure of the company so that it's not reliant on the green team or any particular people to do it, but rather we empower our 1,000 employees to do it almost automatically or as close to automatically as possible. Because that's really, as a, as a digital company, that's where we can add value by digitizing these processes, automating these processes. One example of that is um, at the very, very beginning, um, I think it's normal, there was no fuel tracking at all happening at the company. And so that was the first thing we built up, some sort of fuel tracking uh, infrastructure within our digital platform called Octopus. And then, um, and then we, we've continued to build on that. So now we do automatic carbon calculations. We do automatic number of liters of fuel that are used in every transport being calculated. Um, that's all according to the GLEC framework. So now we have that infrastructure in place. We can do automatic carbon reporting for our customers. And we're just launching now this month, um, essentially a newly automated version of uh, tracking the, uh, the fuel that goes into the vehicles. So we're starting to really automate these processes as much as possible. That also means in tenders, you know, when we're submitting prices, we usually submit two prices for a lane, but um, we can completely automate that process. So, you know, there's no there's no human intervention at all. We just know exactly what it costs to run HVO, exactly what it costs to run biodiesel, exactly what it costs to run uh, fossil diesel. And then we can sort of give a rainbow of prices. Um, and so I think when, when you ask about how's the team developing, I think it's really about how can we develop all of this institutional knowledge and share it within within the entire company so that all the salespeople know it, all of the tender people know it, all of the operations people know it because it's built into the software. Um, it's built into our infrastructure. And that's how we get a thousand people doing green business instead of, you know, some smaller portion of that. Very, very cool and important to recognize how rapidly we need to change cultures. And I'm I'm optimistic because it feels like this you know, when I was on, on brokerage teams and corporate said, hey, we're going to do something a little differently. Here's what you need to learn. I didn't get excited. But I feel like this is a movement that is very bottoms up being driven by employees and younger professionals. And so it is exciting and people want to learn. And given just the last three years of disruption and pandemic, and 
you know, where we're going from climate crisis, I feel like it's an easy sell internally. And I hope that the education lift is not as heavy <laughs> as it has to be in the past, right? People just start talking in these same terms and then moving the ball down the field. So that's great to hear. Let's wrap two questions because we didn't talk about one thing that I, I'm curious about your opinion on. What's the role of hydrogen going to be maybe in Europe or North America and on what time frame? And then um, I'll ask you a personal question after that. So let's, let's jump into the hydrogen one first. Hydrogen, I think, is a really important and complex topic. And I think it comes down to details. So um, let's, look at a, let's look at a couple different industries. <clears throat> first industry, let's look at road freight. So the most comparable competitor to hydrogen is battery electric trucks. And, you know, we just talked about those exponential curves that are driving costs down for battery electric. There's not really the same equivalency for hydrogen from what I see. Um, the, I mean, there's certainly declining costs for hydrogen, no question. And it may be, even be exponential, but I don't see it really um, getting to the same cost levels. The second thing is that the input energy that you need for hydrogen to get to the output transport requires three times as much energy input as it does to simply just uh, charge an electric vehicle. And so when um, the baseline numbers that I've run show something around 25 cents per kilowatt hour is about break even with normal diesel prices in Europe. So let's say 160 um, per liter. That means uh, 25 cents per kilowatt hour is approximately what you have as the German uh, commercial electricity price. So that means on operating expenses, you're somewhere within the range of break-even already in a lot of circumstances if you're doing self-charging. Now, hydrogen would have to be $0.08 cents a kilowatt hour to break even because you'd have to be using three times as much electricity. And $0.08 cents a kilowatt hour is very, very cheap electricity. You know, that's cheaper than the industrial price of electricity in Germany. Um, it's not it's not impossible, but it is very, very cheap electricity. So I think there's an economics question for road freight that needs to be answered for hydrogen that's not going to be that easy to answer. Now, that's not to say hydrogen is a bad technology. I think it's a great way to store electricity. You already see some successful examples in Switzerland. And the reason I think it works in Switzerland is that they have too much renewables that they need to somehow store. And so there it's perfect because they're just producing wind all day and they don't know what to do with it. Great put it into hydrogen, now you've got a storage system and you can distribute it easily within a small country like Switzerland. So I think there's use cases even in road freight probably. And then if you kind of look at um, steel production, for example, I don't know if it's possible to produce steel with hydrogen. I've kind of heard things um, along those lines. I think the um, I think the former CEO of Scania actually went to a steel producing company uh, which is maybe using hydrogen to do that. But the main thing is that, you know, you, you're, you got to burn it really hot. And that's a new technology for using that, but it's a good replacement for fossil fuels. So I'm not an expert on that industry, but just as a general principle, I can imagine that an industry like that is probably a better use for hydrogen and for those renewable resources um, than for road freight, where I think battery electric is going to be so competitive so fast uh, that it's going to be difficult for hydrogen to make its mark. Well said and well reasoned. It's a, uh, a nuanced conversation that I don't get to have with many people. So I appreciate your perspective. And I, I do agree with you. I think it, this next transition of a decade is going to be a fight over where the molecules fit best. And ultimately, that comes down to economics and where they can flow. The easiest to get the best use out, we're all chasing the same net zero goals. So let's, I don't care, scale producing green hydrogen, and we'll find out where to put it and where to use it. That's the best opportunity we have. I um I'm, I'm very bullish, that scenario that hydrogen finds a home in a low-carbon low economy. I just don't know if it's best suited 
to be in trucks. So we'll have to wait and see. Maybe we need the energy density of electrofuels using that same renewable power to keep some of these other trucks on the road that are still running combustion engines for the next decades. So very fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't get too many sound bites, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I have another one before we jump into the personal question. Where um, you talked a lot about, and I want to give Cinder a lot of credit for aligning itself with Smart Freight and GLEC and the forthcoming ISO. I think that is going to be invaluable as people try to align on just the interoperability of data and how we track these changes, because these are now legally binding targets in many cases. So we need to make sure we have good data in and that we're tracking and verifying it appropriately. But I talk a lot of, to our constituents about the value of getting more granular and precise with your data. So I know you know this. If you knew how many empty miles and how many fuel gallons were consumed on every load, that's as close as we can get without having a tailpipe sensor going on to give me an emissions readout, which is infeasible. I'd like to think of that as a granularity funnel. So we start at the top with default values and you've got conservative estimates that are directionally right, but certainly inflated for good reason. Where Where's the sweet spot in that funnel and how can, like is Cinder looking at trying to get in cab and working with fleet payment card solutions? Like, how do you, how do you identify those potential like emission reduction arbitrage opportunities just by getting better data? Yeah. I I mean, I love that. It's so, it's so important. We're at default values right now, you know, and we could be plugging in some, some, let's say more granular ones, but then it would only be for a small percentage of our loads. So rather we've decided to go default on everything. That was version one, GLEC implementation, number one, earth system up and running. We're happy with it. Um, the thing I'm working on right now is doing a uh, fleet data collection where we have a representative sample across a number of geographies where we can actually replace those default values with a fleet sample default value, which is an improvement. So that's the next step down. Now, totally improve model. And that's where I want to be by the end of this year, because I think that already that improvement is significant and it's worth doing. Now, the next step after that, <clears throat> I believe, I think it's going to almost be a, a, a a leapfrog because the next best thing is actually exactly what you say is getting in the caps, you know, because you can improve your, your fleet uh, sample size. You can improve your fleet geography. You can kind of, you know, hone it in. But what really gets exciting is you get the information directly from the trucks. We are already doing a lot of telematics at sender, but what's not hooked up is the telematics to, and the fuel consumption to our carbon calculations. And so that for me is that next leapfrog. And I'm so excited about that. I would say if I had to go, let's say back of the envelope, I would like to be there in 2024. So I don't think it's going to be there next year, might be, but I think probably 2024 is the year for us where we really get individual truck data that is doing the carbon calculations for us. That's where I want to be. And then we, you know, then we can be super clear about this truck is doing that. This driver is doing that. This, you know, this subcontractor is, is, is better or worse. All that kind of stuff. It opens up a world of possibilities um, that I think are really exciting. And then we can start to inform our customers even better about how they should be running their transports. So good. I love hearing those initiatives going on. And important that they're going on concurrently because it's not, as we said earlier, it's a both and scenario. So we need solutions as we scale that can in 2024, know what truck, what driver, what fuel type, because we hope by then we've got some EVs, we've got some HVOs, we're able to um, determine emissions or energy at like a ton kilometer level. So I 
I just got to applaud Cinder. I think you guys are, are leading the charge. I really love the approach. I'm glad you're at the helm and, and trying to, as we said, toot the horn about this initiative, to make, the, <laughs> make the world aware of what's possible. So thank you guys for doing that. Let's end with this. Why is this a personal solution for you? I think I know the answer. You've got kids and your dad was a climate scientist, but if you want to put it in different terms, I'm happy to hear. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, um, the answer is really kids. Um, you know, I've got a one and a half year old, uh, number two is on the way. And I think we've got a, if you look at the IPCC report, International Panel on Climate Change, um, report on how big is the time frame we have for the one and a half degree pathway or even the two degree pathway, which is essentially, if we gave those a name, we want to live in a safe climate globally. We've got like seven years or maybe, maybe eight. If we're super lucky, we've got 10 to sort it out, but we might have three or four. We might have five and the clock is ticking, you know? And so it's, yes, yeah, it's definitely for my kids because I feel super strong sense of responsibility. You're the director of carbon intelligence. I'm sure you've got the same, you know, the same sense of responsibility. But I think what's really unique in this situation is humanity's faced a lot of issues before, but the we've never sort of left it really till midnight to have such a massive uh, amount of action to take in such a short period of time. So that, I mean, for me, that's personally why it's there. I do think we can do it. And I'm very, all those exponential curves I mentioned before, there's other ones as well. There's carbon pricing. That's going to be mandatory in 2026 in Europe, 2026. That sounds like it's some crazy future year. That's like three and a half years from now. That's a beautiful thing. You know, as soon as carbon pricing is there, it changes the whole fuel landscape It makes BEVs cheaper, you know? all of those things. So I think my optimistic brain says, I think the exponential curves are going to be there. I think the economic, they're going to drive the economics. I think all the things are heading in the right direction. We need to really step on the accelerator. Um, but I think that there's a really good chance that we can hit our goals and hopefully um, stick to a one and a half degree pathway or a two degree pathway as a, as a world. Well said. We're on the same page completely. I I think many of us forget and are privileged to live in developed countries where in a world where the climate goes to hell, we probably will be okay. It's going to be more expensive. There's going to be a lot of strife and, you know, adaptation issues that we're going to have to be dealing with. And it's going to be expensive in terms of resources, both time and attention and, and all all of the like. But, you know, for my kids, I just want them to be aware that not everybody in the world lives like us. It's a global problem. And I think once you become aware of that, you now have a moral responsibility to deal with it. So as we start thinking about how our actions affect the least of these, we want to be good stewards of what we have. And that that does involve change. And it starts with, you know, you and me tooting the horn at the end of the day, which, you know, I don't know that we'll ever say that again three times on an episode. No, we're probably never going to say it again, period. But uh. <laughs> Let's end it with that, man. Graham, thank yeah. you. We could go for hours, but I really appreciate your yeah. time. And I look forward to connecting again soon. Thank you, Tyler. I really appreciate it. Take care.